Oh, hey, Kate. Hi there. Hi there, friend. <laughs> Hi, Ryan. Hi. <laughs> so currently, as we speak, I'm entering broccoli and sweet potatoes into an app that tracks Frankie's every bite, every diaper, <laughs> every minute of sleep. That's fantastic. And anyways, I only bring it up because it's uh, interesting because I read an article that I should find and reference. Um, but And it was it was about how this current generation of parents is like raising their children on the internet. You know what I mean? Like in terms of data and um, even like researching medical and developmental things to be aware of. And it is uh, replacing the, the relationship that used to happen with parents and grandparents when raising a kid. And I thought about that and I was like, well, yeah, because my mom is busy taking care of her mom in a way. So I understand how sociologically we're turning to all the tools and the, on the internet to like, well, sure. Yeah. yeah. Understand patterns and raise, I don't know. It's just interesting to me. Um, by the way, did you see that commercial for make your yoga practice easier in these vibe, these vibrating pants? No, <laughs> I sent it to you on Instagram because I got delivered this this loop tastic ad. It was a woman in black pants that apparently have like an electrical shock in them. Oh God! <laughs> and it's like make your yoga class more comfortable with these electrical. I don't know. So I bought three pairs. <laughs> I didn't. I'm kidding. That's ridiculous. I know. I can't seem to find where you sent it to me on Instagram, but I will. I will try to look it up <clears throat> at some point. Um, so uh, you have some big news. Oh yes! Oh yes! I am officially moving over my teaching practice to down under yoga, right down the street from where I currently teach. And um, I'm super excited and a little bit terrified. And I think that's a good sign for me. I need to be... A little bit terrified sometimes? Yeah. Um, I had a wonderful talk with a friend of mine who was like, Kate, she's like, go and meet new people and... And be uncomfortable. She's like, it's going to be super good for your teaching. And I agree with her. And I'm really excited. Down Under is, as you know, we, we've talked about them on our podcast a lot. And my experience so far has been they are a well-organized machine over there. Yeah. And, uh. That was awesome. And I'm going to get to be part of teacher trainings, which has been um, something that's been very important to me professionally uh, since I became a yoga teacher. It was actually one of the reasons because I feel so strongly about uh, 
educating future teachers and equipping them with tools to be more inclusive and sensitive. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm going to get a chance to do that. And uh, that is very, very important to me. And I'm psyched about doing it. Now, um, I am also going to continue at Yoga Works Back Bay, but um, in a different capacity. I'll be teaching my classes there for a little bit longer. And then I'm going to switch to teaching a quarterly um, in-depth slow flow. Uh So like once a season, I'll I'll still be there because I love it there. That's um, that's the the studio that and that space. Um, you know, in some ways, I look at that and I'm like, well, that's the place where I got and stayed sober, and that's the place yeah. where I became a teacher, and and that's, you know, it's it's not the same place as it was then because no place ever remains static; yeah. it always evolves. <laughs> as people inside it change, you know. Yeah, yeah. But it is a, um, you, you know, it, it does house some of my dearest friends. And, um, I, I love the students there and, uh, and I like staying connected to a place that was so critically important to me at a, at a very difficult time in my life. So that's what I did this week. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to be fair, it wasn't, it wasn't this week. This was, this was a, a long thought out, you know. Uh, you you considered this very carefully, and uh, we had many off the off the microphone conversations about about this possibility. And um, there's a beautiful banner image of you up oh. on the Down Under website. Um, Thank you. Uh, um, that picture, um, I. I looked at it. Well, first of all, I feel like hot garbage just, and I philosophically have really mixed feelings about asana photography in general. Yeah. And with those, but with the need for a picture and my feelings on yoga photography, that for me was sort of like the best possible thing that could have happened. Like the, it could have been a disaster and it wasn't because I, I feel like swollen, hot garbage and I, I feel like uh Daniela was the photographer and she was very sweet and very kind and we had limited time and I sort of just sat down and she took it and we were like all right we're done <laughs> <laughs> no I think it's great and because you had called me I think prior to that and and sort of expressed uh deep anxiety about having a photo shoot uh done um but when I saw this I was like Oh yeah, of course. This is like, I don't know. The, the, that picture is like perfect. Um, I look a little sad behind the eyes. It just feels very real. <laughs> yes. No, no, no. It, it, that's what I mean. It's like, it, it just feels very real and authentic. And, and you're, you're, uh, uh, for those, I, I would put the link up, but I'm not sure how long the banner image will be there. Um, uh, but it's just you in Upavishta Kanasana leaning forward on a bolster, looking very pensive. Um, and it's kind of perfect. Uh, Thank you, Ryan. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm excited. You taught your first 
class all already. Is that I did, okay. yeah. And um, I'm. We had a snowstorm. I would have been there last night, but we had we had the the storm roll in. So I'll be there on Thursdays, Saturdays, and Tuesdays. For now, Lovely. We'll see, and um, if we add more or shift times, um, the other thing that's really cool that I'm excited about experimenting with at this studio is uh, not using a microphone. Oh, so while that may not sound like a big deal to people listening or to you or to anyone, I've, I've been doing a lot of thinking about it and I used the microphone, um, you know, because Lynn is a huge mic advocate and in several trainings that I took with her and, you know, talking to her personally, like she's, she's always been like, you have to preserve your voice. Um, so get comfortable using a microphone and I have and do, I use microphone for every class I teach and I think that having the microphone lets me teach with a softer tone of voice because I'm not constantly sure, like yeah, projecting yeah. from deep inside my vagina. Um, but there's also like something to be said for like, okay, well, maybe people can hear you at yeah. a normal conversational tone <laughs> in a big room with a high ceiling and music playing. Maybe, maybe they can hear you. Yeah. Um, I will say though that the rooms at Back Bay are particularly awful from an acoustic standpoint, <laughs> um, because and and whereas even though there may be like slightly similar dimensions at the Down Under Studios, I've never thought it to be anywhere near as extreme. But I remember very clearly going back to Ohm in New York for my 500 hour training and after like a year of teaching at Back Bay and uh, my teacher Joe uh, Miller um, actually giving me the feedback which was exactly the opposite of the feedback he would give me in the first teacher training that I did where I was like you need to project more um, and then I got into the 500 hour training and actually got the note like it feels like you're shouting <laughs> and then oh I was like, God. I was like, why would that be? I was like, oh, because you literally have to shout in in that, especially that front room at Back Bay and in the back room at Back Bay, in order to be heard by all in the room. So the microphones are are specifically useful. Like I would never use it for a public class, but I always used it for teacher training. Because if I had to speak for four plus hours in that room, um, it was a bad, like I would lose my voice for the next couple of days. So I bet it won't be, it'll be an adjustment, but I bet it won't be as much of an adjustment as, as you, uh, as you might think. I hope so. And I think, you know, I, I think, I don't know. I, it really is pointing, <laughs> all signs point back to how I use music. Uh-huh. And, well, for sure you're right that 
there's idiosyncratic considerations for that front room at back bay, like the heater coming on and, you know, hip hop playing in the other room or whatever. Um, but I also really like playing my music at a particular, at a, at a a fairly robust volume. I mean, robust is a strong word. That's not quite right. Um, no, but you don't you don't necessarily want it just to be like faintly in the background. Yeah, I don't want to be competing with the music. So I guess I'm just like, oh no, is this how people end up just not teaching with music anymore? <laughs> like, yes. They're just like, fuck it. <laughs> it fuck absolutely it is. <laughs> <laughs> or you you know, you might find yourself using music more more um uh what sort I'm looking for. Um more specifically in particular portions of the class, you know? Um, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's definitely something to experiment with that in, in a sort of more, um, uh, you know, whether it's towards the end of class or whether it's at the beginning of class when everyone's settling in, or, you know, you might just choose to use it in a slightly different, um, different organization as opposed to like, through the entirety of the experience. Um, Yeah, that's smart. uh, Which would be a good way. I think that's a better way than necessarily saying, I'm going to try without. Um, To like actually be like, no, you know, this section here where we're really just going to do some work with Siri Namaskar, I'll put on a little bit of music and this point of time at the end I'm going to put on a little bit of music as we're doing um some quieting towards the end of class like that's that's fine um uh but you also might drift to not using music which is totally fine um uh I think it's um it's a new space and it's a new community and you'll find what the most kind of skillful, uh, you will shift the way that you teach. Like it will, it will shift probably radically. Um, uh, whether that's good or bad, who knows? um but it but it will for sure at a new space and with a new um you know new people and um there are different you know it's it's a very different it's a very different vibe in general over in over in brookline than it is over at back bay i know and i'm trying to uh, be really, I'm trying to find the right, the right way to say this. How I teach is not like back bay or down under. I'm trying not to go into a space and teach what I think they want me to teach. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yes. And I, in the way that I don't do that at back bay anymore, because I've been there long enough that i just have the confidence to teach what I want to teach. Yes. I'm, I'm trying to avoid that little blip that happens in the beginning of changing studios where you're like, Oh, maybe I'll question everything about who I am and how I teach because I'm in a new space. <laughs> I'm going to do everything I can to avoid that. 
<laughs> but it's still, I mean, you still have to teach who shows up in the room. Exactly. And it's going to be a very different, um, I mean, obviously it will depend greatly on on the class times. You know, your class times seem to be kind of spread out in different, different time slots. But um, uh, yeah, it's just going to depend on, uh, and, it, and it's going to be interesting because people are going to come in and try your class and decide they love it. And then other people are going to come in and try your class and decide that like, fuck that. Yeah, exactly. And, and so there's just going to be a, a period of, of shifting. Um, but there are enough people that, uh, who teach at that studio who have, you know, a resonance with the way that you, you teach that I, I don't think it'll be that big of a stretch um, for people to be like, oh, okay, so this, this fits in. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, so, but that's, it's very exciting. Um well, thank you, Ryan. I think and, so too. And uh, I look forward to uh, hearing all about it, and um, look forward to making it to class. Though those times are not well. Maybe I'll come on Tuesday night sometime. That'll be that would be doable. That would be. Doable. Oh yeah, I'm excited about that too. The Tuesday night class. Yeah, that's fun. So good. So, what are you doing? What's new with you? Um, I don't know. Um, nothing really. <laughs> Just teaching the yogas, doing the things and the stuff. Um, uh, you know, uh, yesterday was exciting as always with, uh, this was like a real snowstorm though. Like, I feel like some of the other ones we've had have been like, this is silly. <laughs> but yesterday was like, it was real. Um, and uh, I just kind of uh, hauled up in the studio and, and rolled around on the floor for the entirety of the day. <laughs> Did you have any classes over there? I thought uh, I, saw, I saw you had classes. Yeah, yeah. There was a 10 o'clock class in the morning. Um but it was pretty bad. Like I was thinking at 10, it would still be like doable to get over here. And you know, the people who came live like super, super close. Um, uh, so, uh, then we, so I was glad we, we closed for the rest of the day cause it gave me a chance to just kind of like chill out in here. Um, uh, my roommate was building Ikea furniture. And so I just had to, I wanted to not be in the apartment cause I knew I would have gotten roped into, helping <laughs> Which oh, is the, the last God, thing that, that I wanted terrible. to do with my day off. <laughs> um, oh, that sounds like a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much all, all I've been, all I've been up to. I'm going to make a really awkward transition. Um, there was... Go oh, ahead. No, make it. Make it. No, go. you go ahead. There was something we were talking about last episode that I wanted us to unpack more, but then I immediately spaced on what that was. So Okay. That's helpful. <laughs> <laughs> was that, does that help? 
Yes, the totally. Transition? Yes, that, totally. Helps. Is that useful? No, I just I, I before we get into something more broad reaching, um, I I wanted to um, I, I had a number of people text, uh, Facebook message, Slack, all of the communication methods that we have at our fingertips about the thing with. Uh, Matthew Remsky and Theo Wildcroft and Carol Horton and one of these Facebook Facebook group things. Um, oh yeah. And and the truth of the matter is, I, I have no idea what's going on. Um, it seems like the least productive thing on the face of the planet. Um, so I kind of just glossed over the whole thing. Um, uh, and it, but it did make me think like. If it was someone, it's funny because like if it was someone trolling Remsky, I'd be like, eh, they might have a point. <laughs> but I, but I generally like Theo and think that what they're doing is is really um, uh, is really interesting work that we don't even really know the the the, the full spectrum of because uh, uh, the uh, the dissertation isn't isn't published. Um, so I'm just kind of excited to see both from, you know, the newsletter I get from her, uh, every, uh, week or so. And then the conversations with Jay on, um, on his podcast, uh, cause Theo has been on, I think twice now. Um, I'm just really excited to see what, what comes, comes, uh, out of her mind, um, in terms of thinking about yoga, uh, and uh, I don't know what's going down. I don't care what's going down. I just, I think Facebook may, in fact, be the worst thing that's happened to yoga um, <laughs> on the face of the planet. Um, uh, that's that's kind of where where I'm at. Um, and I stick true to my um, strategy uh, in terms of Facebook, which is to never engage, no matter what happens. Never engage. No matter what happens, never <laughs> engage. Why? Because it's not worth it. No, no one can have a human conversation through that medium, and therefore, it's not worth. Um, uh, you know, it, it may have some value in terms of connecting with people that you haven't seen in a while, and and you know, keeping in touch with people that you haven't seen in a while. But it, when it comes to actual uh, debate and conversation um, that is more than just like, hey, I haven't, you know, like just casual stuff like photos of a vacation or, you know, uh, things like that. Uh, um, I just, yeah, I just. Don't. You just think nothing useful can come of it? Nothing useful can come of it. I mean, I even go so far as like if I see someone. Uh, who has a birthday, like I refuse to write happy birthday on their wall and will text them. If I don't have their number, I don't, I'm not going to wish them happy birthday. Um, but I will just text them or call them and say happy birthday. Like, uh, so I'm grateful that Facebook reminds me that it's certain people's birthdays because I don't keep that type of stuff in my calendar, but I'm not going to engage via Facebook. I'm going to use that as a prompt to engage in some sort of more direct fashion. Um, 
uh, I just think it's, uh, I just think it's awful. <laughs> Is that dark? I don't really mean it to be dark. I just find it to be awful. <laughs> I mean, I think everybody collectively agrees it's awful. You're not alone there. I do think, I do question the premise that there's nothing useful that can come with engaging. I think you're right that most of what comes is not of use. You know, I've seen more times where it's been just a massive time suck. Yeah. But especially big, like, complex issues, like there's a whole, I mean, the number of things that come up, um, uh, around topics of, of, uh, cultural appropriation and, and, and race and gender and, and sexuality and, and, and these topics that are really important to discuss, um, that I see, you know, these giant threads going down on Facebook and I'm just like, this is not, like in order to actually have a productive conversation about any of those incredibly difficult topics, like there has to be a, there has to be, um, at least some baseline level of, of mutual respect that I just think is lost when you're not, you know, hearing someone, at least hearing someone's voice on, on the phone or over Skype or whatever. Um, but, but is certainly much better done in the context of, uh, of, you know, sitting down across from somebody and having that conversation. And yeah, it takes a lot more work to sit down across from somebody and have that conversation, but it's, it's worth it. Um, uh, so yeah, so I don't, I, I just, I, I just don't find, um, I just don't find a lot of it to be worthwhile. But like when we have, when we're constrained by money and time and distance, like how else are we supposed to engage? You're still constrained by time when you write a, a like pages long response to somebody on Facebook. Okay, that's true. I hear you there. But... <laughs> like, you're still constrained by time. And if you're constrained by time, fine. Dude. That's just the reality of, like, we got to pay our bills. And, and you know, um, that, that should just be taken as, as a given. Um, that everyone's constrained by time and responsibilities and capitalism. Um, and, and so you know, maybe it's true that people outside of the circle of, of academia are not going to have these like long drawn out discussions about this, that, or the other thing. Um, but even casual conversation, you know, even if it's just with your partner or a friend, um, I just feel like that's more, um, that's just more useful. Um, now, certainly, if there's not a great diversity amongst your friends in terms of viewpoints and, and 
sexuality and gender and race and you know like then then that's something that should be looked at too right um because then you might never like tackle things that are important to to tackle uh but um i don't think that facebook is the answer to any of that <laughs> i mean sure it's great to like share articles that have been posted that you find interesting and and certainly i i come across things that are interesting that people post but but um in terms of a of a um uh venue for actual discussion i find it to be um completely unhelpful i don't think it's completely unhelpful i think it's largely unhelpful i've seen people that are willing to be moderators or willing to maintain conversations and threads and debates um, in a peaceful, thoughtful way. I just think that that's like a part-time job. Yeah, The people exactly. that are able yeah. to do that <laughs> either in a group or privately on their page. Yeah. But I've seen it done well where people, you know, haven't just resulted, you know, haven't completely devolved and people have come to middle grounds on certain points. <laughs> Oh. Um, yeah, I've never seen that happen. Well, <laughs> it's hard for it to happen in a group because yeah, yeah, yeah. in a group, everybody has less, um, they have less at stake in a group. Whereas when you're having these conversations on somebody's personal Facebook page. Yeah. And it's moderated by the person that brought up whatever the point was. I just think that there's a lot more civility. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. So maybe the problem is the Facebook group, <laughs> which, by the way, is going to get monetized very soon. So if you happen to own oh, a Facebook group, the writing is on the wall for that, man. They've been making some changes that indicate that they're about to make it, that you have to pay to get your information in front of group. Oh, that's uh, group very number. interesting. Yeah. That's very interesting. Maybe it's for the best. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I not, not not because they're hole, but Yeah, not I'm because like, they're monetizing it, but just because they're... Um, it will maybe discourage some of those large, large groups from, from existing. From going uh, into just like crazy, stupid flame wars. Exactly. Well, that's the thing is like, I felt, I really feel like the groups, like groups that I am, that I am in that are of a small size are, are, are great. Like if it, if it's, if it's just a small group of people. Um, yep. Mm -hmm. for like a very particular purpose uh like that's that's totally fine and wonderful and actually quite functional um in terms of like asking questions or or opinions or um or anything like that uh but you know these like giant yoga groups it's just like uh, let's just let's just get rid of all those well people they they come in cruel. Yeah. You know, whereas like I was part of a very large group 
I still am. I haven't stepped away from it, but I still get material from them. It was a very large group for people that have low supply breastfeeding issues. So everybody that was in that group, they, first of all, they vetted you. Like you had to like answer a whole bunch of questions and have a conversation sure, yeah, with yeah. one of the moderators to make sure that you were legit and that you weren't trying to sell something. And um, then it was like a group of thousands and thousands of women and it was su super relevant and, and supportive and wonderful. And um, it's just so wildly different because I think there's not enough of a common ground in a quote unquote shared interest yoga group Yeah, yeah, yeah. because yoga is so large. Yeah. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, and speaking of topics that get talked about ad nauseum, um, in yoga Facebook groups, uh, you had, uh, brought up the, uh, topic of cultural appropriation. Okay. Yeah. Don't get mad at me, but I'm going to try to keep this short because it's just something I sort of noticed. Uh, <laughs> Don't get mad. Why, why would I get mad at you? Because you're going to keep it short or because you think I don't want to talk about it? Oh, my God. You just totally broke. Uh, you just broke up. I didn't hear what you said. Do, oh, uh, <laughs> are you, do you think I'm going to get mad at you because it's because what you have to say is short or because uh, um, it's uh, not something that I want to talk about? I don't know. <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. So I've been reflecting on my experience and relationship to forest yoga. Sure. Which I started off my practice with forest yoga. I practiced it for years and even entertained doing, after I had already had my 200-hour, entertained doing the forest 200-hour. I studied with... The foundational training... Yeah, yes. whatever. And then I, uh, you know, I read anything Anna's ever written. I studied with her whenever she came to town. Uh, but then as people, as, as forest yoga started to appear less and less on many schedules, and as my practice changed, I moved away from it. I had taken what I needed from it and wanted to practice other things. But, you know, I, I still follow with great interest what is happening in the forest community. And I think something that occurred to me is that especially now that we're all reflecting on leadership and authenticity and mm -hmm. uh ethics and who what are we following and why and are we truly should we be post lineage and, and all of those swirling things I've, I've been just reflecting on like what it means for a yoga group to refer to themselves uh and to pull from traditions uh, multimodal traditions from other 
cultures and slap them onto a yoga practice. Like, what does it mean to pull from indigenous cultures? Yeah. And I guess I'm in a place where I'm, I'm really suspicious of people that love and honor uh, traditions, but pull them into their yoga practice. I, I think we, we all should be a little suspicious of it because when the group that you're taking something from doesn't have a voice in the classroom or equal access to teachings or equal access to even teaching yoga classes or taking yoga classes. Like it just feels like we can do better. Mm -hmm. No, I think we can do better is the right attitude. Um, I do. Okay. Hear me out on this. Okay. If you took Sherman Alexi and told him he's got to go take a yoga class and you put Wait, him if, in if who Sherman Alexi. I don't know who that is. He's, um, he's a very well regarded short story novelist. Uh, he's written young adults. He, we'll put a link in the website, but he's fantastic and hysterical okay. and I could do another whole podcast on problematic things about him too, but he, brilliant writer uh and if you put if you put him in on a forest class i would love to read what he wrote about that experience mm -hmm. you know but when most of the people that i see coming out of teacher forest yoga teacher trainings are young white women that have used forest yoga to overcome many things and but she's sort of famous for helping you get through emotional and mental health yeah. blocks you know uh it just feels weird to like talk about ceremony and get second and third hand exposure to ceremony that is an echo in a diluted form you know of another culture's Yes. Well, I mean, sacred work. <laughs> to, to to be clear, though, ceremony is something that you, I, I don't think it's 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 not just ceremony. It's the fact that the ceremony is being directly lifted from an indigenous culture. Because you could just set up, like, you could we could decide, like, if you and I were running a retreat, we could create some context for ceremony for ritual that held the context of the classroom even if it was just the way that the room was set up or the number of candles that were lit or um you like you know you tend to light incense when you walk into a classroom and teach that's certainly a form of of um you know ritual so it's i think there has to be like a, a clarity around it I don't think it's the fact that there is ceremony going on. I think it's the fact that it is being perhaps lifted without much understanding of where it came from. Is that fair? 
I think it would be interesting to explore the difference between ceremony and habit. Well, I mean, but meaning it, ceremony is, is there is some sort of intentional, I'm going to do it this way because like you're, you're setting some, some very clear intention about why you're doing certain things. Um, uh, and if you look at any form of tantric practice, there, there is assuredly some quality of ritual or ceremony to it. Um, does it mean that if the ceremony is not done perfectly in that way that it loses meaning? No, we've, we've imbued meaning into those things that we are, are doing um, uh, in, in the container of sort of whatever spiritual practice we're, we're engaging in. Um, but to be... Uh, um, to be unclear or to, to not be clear about where that is uh, coming from or to think that you are just simply not appropriating even because you've pointed to where it's coming from, that's where it gets tricky. Like cultures are going to exchange things like that's there's too much information out there to just there's too much information out there and it's moving too quickly. There are going to be uh, and there have been throughout the centuries exchange going on between cultures. But it's very different to like take that and make that part of the marketing behind mm. the practice. Like there's there's you know, it's it's one thing. And this is where I think the conversations get super, super slippery because um, it's it's we have to start from the assumption that there is some appropriation going on. And that that, I, it, that that is a uh, legacy of our, uh, you know, of everybody's colonialist, imperialist uh, bent <laughs> in, in society, um, you know, uh, and, and, and you know, one could very clearly connect, connect patriarchy to that as well. Um, but we're all participating in it. So, so this so, leads us to a conversation that we started to have uh, like almost a year ago or, uh -oh. or that we've touched upon loosely. The idea of what is the responsibility for referencing, you know, like what is, what is our parenthetical documentation as teachers when it, as it comes to what we do in the classroom and how we communicate what we do in the classroom via marketing? Um, I don't think that I could ever make some sort of blanket statement about that. I think that it's everybody's responsibility to look into where they learn, like what, what they learned, how they learned it, who they learned it from, and be clear about 
that set of influences. Yeah, but how do you get clear? I think that's, that's you just what I'm ask about. yourself, what did I, what, what do I, in the words, what am I actually practicing and how did I learn it? And why is it actually valuable? And then why is it actually valuable? And given the being sensitive to other people's experiences, are there aspects of that that I'm going to choose to not include in the context of a public class? Which is not to say that I still won't practice that on my own. But that's a set of choices, not a clear this is right and that is wrong. I have chosen within the context of a yoga class never to chant Om. However, in my own practice, I do find Om to be a useful syllable to chant, both for esoteric reasons and yes. for physiological reasons, because it makes a certain mm -hmm. shape and a certain vibration just by the mere usage of those syllables. Um, and uh, I find that to be uh, an interesting practice and tool within the context of um, within the context of my personal yoga practice. But having had enough conversations with um, uh, with enough people, both of South Asian descent and of of strong um, religious upbringing, that is not uh, um, you know, not Buddhist, not, not Hindu, not um, um, uh, coming from Asia, uh, that that can be equally triggering to someone who was brought up and practices Judaism and can be equally tr triggering to someone who who's a practicing Catholic and, or a practicing, uh, you know, has a strong connection to Christianity. Now, it's not my, you know, they may get over that, sure, but I am choosing to not to to minimize the amount of conflict that there will be there by just not doing it. Um, it's it's sort of like one of the things that chanting Om tends to do for me is that it helps me to quiet and center. Are there ways that I can quiet and center without chanting Om? Yes. Are they worth teaching? Yes. So I just don't teach chanting Om. Uh, within the context of a one-on-one -on -one situation, I might have a conversation about Om with somebody. But you know, there is such ah, a, th okay. there yeah. is such a thing, um, and and this is this is a context that comes out of uh, many Tibetan Buddhist traditions. Is there's there is a, a conversation about. Um, uh, outer, inner, and what is often referred to as secret teachings, but I just think of it as private teachings, as in, um, you know, if someone, it's, it's the same thing as like, if someone comes in off the street never having done yoga before, am I going to sit there and talk to them about chakras? No, because it's subtle. And so I'm going to... Yeah, yeah, or are you going to put your hands all over them? Yeah, exactly. Probably not. Yeah. It, and so there are just certain things like I'm not going to have a conversation about nadis 
you, for, for the most part, within the context of a public class setting, um, unless, of course, someone asks about them, and then by all means, I'll, I'll give a little spiel, which I sometimes will have to do. Um, but uh, yeah, everything you're everything you're saying applies to how I philosophically have changed a little bit on how I think about putting your hands on a person. Like, for the most part, in a public class, unless I know you real well, I'm not going to touch you. Yeah. You know, but if it's if it, if we're doing a private one on one class and we discuss that, like I might do a lot of yeah, adjust yeah. and assist. Um, but it also so, you know, I think this is this is the challenging thing is it's not. And what often happens around a conversation of cultural appropriation is that we look to someone else to tell us what's the right thing to do so that we can avoid offending people. And that's not necessarily the, that's a, that's, that's a slightly challenging intention to work with, as opposed to, I find this practice, whether I call it yoga or not to be, you know, inherently helpful and, and useful and essential to my well-being as a person. And if someone is coming to take class on some level, they are probably looking for some sense of well-being, even if it's just distinctly physical. And um, I need to be uh, clear in a very surface way in the, in the way that I engage in marketing with who I have learned from and what my influences are. Um, but in the context of the classroom, uh, um, knowing that there is going to be some appropriation present um, to take the time to, uh, you know, as best you can, obviously you can't keep people for like four hours because that's probably how long it would take, but to just be open to the pointing to where these things come from. Um, and you don't have to point to everything in one class and you don't have to, it, but it, it should, it should, the onus should be on each teacher to figure out how they're going to have that, mm -hmm. have that conversation, not because looking to someone else to tell you what's right is, um, uh, that's your lazy, lazy, that's lazy. And you're not, you're not actually doing the work of, of unpacking the things that have been imprinted on you, maybe unknowingly. So here's a fun thought. Here's a fun thought exercise along those lines. I walk into class, I pull out my incense and I walk through the room with it. And then let's walk through the thought exercises of where that came from. Okay. Well, gee, I had a teacher that did it, and I loved it. And I then remembered that, hey, you know what? For the first, like, 25 years of my life, whenever I came home from school and then work, I would burn incense. And it was just my way of walking into a space and sort of being like, I'm home. Yeah. It was like a comfort thing. Okay, but now well, let's follow that 
down a little further. I where else did I get exposed to incense burning that wasn't just as a hippie? Catholicism. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, I was raised Catholic. Yeah. And they burned something called copal. Okay, that's interesting. So where did the Catholics start burning copal from? Oh, they went to uh, they went to Mexico and they tore down the <laughs> the uh, pyramids to build the cathedral in Mexico City, and they also took the, the copal, which grew which grows there indigenously, and slapped it on top of Catholic mass traditions to mm-hmm. make the indigenous population more comfortable with this new religion that they were forcing upon them. Yep. They would take elements. The Catholic church is famous for taking elements from the communities that they came in and forced into religion. So yep. when you think about the the Celtic cross that predates that, that had much more to do with um, taking their concept of a sort of like a sun deity and slapping yeah. it over a Judeo-Christian imagery. Yeah. And then the incense and like literally the Easter bunny all the way down to the Christmas tree have sort of dark insidious roots. And yeah. that's not new, but I have to think, okay, so I'm now referencing incense, which is referencing incense, which is referencing incense and goes, you know, all the way back, the layers of appropriation are deep. Yes. <laughs> you know, I'm like seventh generation incense appropriator at this point. <laughs> but I'm also just like, a, a, you know, a middle class white chick that listened to Fiona Apple and liked to come home from high school and burn some incense. Yes. <laughs> No, like there's also that truth. Yes, no, and it's they true. They all coexist. And how do you communicate that in a classroom when we only have ten minutes? And who really gives a shit? Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I don't know, Ryan. <laughs> I I don't know. Um, I think um, you know, I, I I just pulled up the actual uh, definition from the Cambridge English Dictionary. Um. The act of taking or using things from a culture that is not your own, especially without showing that you understand or respect this culture. Um, and 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 this is this is often um, and and I think it's often hard to discern what respect. And for me to like, cause I, I get this whenever I see, um, remember we went to Angela Farmer and it, the other group there was just a, a large group of white people wearing turbans. <laughs> yeah. And I said, I feel like we're in a yogurt commercial. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, that is, that kind of makes me a little, but I, you know, who, I don't know those people. Sure you do, Ryan. Let's not, don't be politically correct. Sure you do. No, but I don't know all of them. You don't know all of them, but a lot of them, we can make some really accurate stereotypes. Yes, yes, absolutely. (laughs) But who's to say that there isn't someone, you know, among them 
not there for the purpose of making money who has a has studied and 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 really dived deep into um whatever tradition of kundalini yoga practice um was being represented there i i don't don't really know anything about that practice so it's hard for me to explain what that would look like um so i it's for me to point this is what i'm getting at is like for me to point the finger is a little bit is it feels a little bit off to me not to say that that you know we shouldn't talk about it and there shouldn't be a broader conversation about it um but the actual unpacking of why we practice yoga and why we feel uh you know the history and and, and this is why i have a lot of friends who like could give a flying fuck about the history of of yoga as it exists in this country but actually understanding the history of yoga as it exists in this country and as it existed in india and um uh and and uh, you know everywhere else that it it has uh existed in other forms of of uh quote unquote yoga practice that have existed uh in other um uh in other areas of asia um I lost my train of thought. You said you didn't want to I, well, point I, fingers. I, I don't want to point fingers because it, it's it's on each individual person to do that work, to look at what they're doing, and to make decisions, and to be open to hearing criticism about those decisions. But at the end of the day, if what I am practicing is valuable to me, then I, and I choose to teach it as I've chosen to teach it, um, and I am conscious and, and continually aware of the uh, conflict that uh, um, capitalism and colonialism and imperialism and patriarchy and all of those things um, uh, overlay onto the yoga practice, um, then my hope would be that then over time I make better and better and better decisions about how to appropriate less or that might not be the right okay. turn of phrase but um yeah i agree with you on all of that i just think finger pointing in a friendly way is necessary because sometimes people won't know unless there's a conversation a dialogue and some finger pointing well yes like, but, I'm, but but i'm not but I need to I, I don't know I need I'm not gonna I'm not gonna finger point at someone that I don't
I would, I would try not to finger point at someone that I don't really know. Cause I don't know their relationship to what they're, they're teaching. Okay. Well, how about this? Let me modify it. I will finger point at your marketing. Oh yeah. No, that's a very, very different, <laughs> you know, that's a like, very different thing that, but, but that's what I'm talking. Okay. I, I think just for clarity's sake, like don't finger point if you're not in their classroom, if you don't have direct experience, don't finger point their teaching unless you have direct experience. Right. Yeah. I think that's fair. And then finger point all the fuck you want for marketing. Yeah. When you, you take it into the public sphere and try to sell me something and you do it in a problematic way, yes, game on. Absolutely. No, no, no. That's, that's, that's totally, that's totally fair and totally. That's fair. Okay. Um, uh, but, uh, at the same time, I at the same time I really value what it is that I'm practicing and will continue to practice it alongside having a conversation about like, okay, how do we uh, because the practice hopefully also gives you the tools to understand the vast intersections of uh um, power dynamics that have allowed you to get on the mat and practice those things in the first place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So like to me, to me, to, to think that you could be having a complete and holistic practice without tackling those things. Um, I don't see how that's possible. Um, and it's certainly painful when you like put the glasses on and you're like, Holy fuck. Patriarchy. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> like that's that's a shocking. Um, <laughs> that's a that's a really shocking thing to look at, right? Um, yeah. And hopefully, it becomes less less shocking and paralyzing, you know, over time. But if you're going to be engaged in in uh, a practice of, um, you know, as my teacher would put it spiritual wellness that's included that's included how you relate to the world um and the conditions that have led you to relate to the world in this way um that's that's fair game for practice um yeah, that's self-study that's self-study 101 yeah yes 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 um and um It always brings, it doesn't always do anything. Um, at this moment in time, it brings me back to that thing that we were talking about a couple of episodes back. Cultural humility, which is a word that Nick brought home after a meeting he was in. Um, and it just struck me as so perfect that one of the first things we have the opportunity to practice is cultural humility, especially as a group of mostly um, commercially represented thin white women. Yeah. Like when we walk into a classroom looking around and saying, okay, who's not here? Yes. 
who's not teaching who's who's not teaching who's not here and do we have cultural humility about what we're teaching and why and as it relates to what other people are teaching and why and is there room for that softness and the possibility that you're wrong not i'm not saying to stop i'm just saying that you to, to assume that you're doing lots of things wrong. Yes. Let's yeah, operate yeah. under the working assumption that we are to, that we are magnificently flawed. Yes. And and optimistic and open to the possibility that we can do better. Yes. I agree. Um and that's my, that's my inspo for the week, actually, for inspo and trigger. I, I return my inspiration to that phrase, cultural humility. To walk in and say, no, 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 how I do things is not better than yeah. how other people do things. And that brings, you know, that always, for me, circles back around lineage. Mm-hmm. You know, how one group of people does things is not better and i get you know when we when we circle our wagons around one person or one idea it's just so limiting and yes you can go deep within that rabbit hole i don't know yeah okay so that's my that's my inspo trigger <laughs> That's my trigspiration. Your trigspiration. That's great. I like that word. I like that word. Um, uh, Oh, God. I don't know. Um, I would have to say that both my... uh, um, Both my trigger and inspiration... uh, is that the past few weeks, um, uh, Shambhala, which is the Buddhist community in, in which I mostly study, um, they've been kind of having their own wave of, of Me Too movement. Um, oh. And, uh, you know, both with stuff that is sort of act, uh, actively happening in the recent past and also with things that happened in the more distant past um, in, in the community, um, which you can go online and read all about. Uh, but um, there's been a real um, uh, willingness to, at least on the on the Boston Center's part, because um, they've been having meetings and things like that. Unfortunately, most of them are at times where I'm teaching, so you know that's. I, I wish I could be part of the conversation there, um, but uh, you know, just had some uh, really positive email exchanges uh, that both. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, um, uh, uh, sort of exemplified kind of leaning in to having difficult conversation and a acknowledgement of we have no idea how to do this 
inclusively. Um, and so a perfect example is they put up, like they basically organized a, uh, a meeting for um, uh, women identified folk and a meeting for men, uh, male identified folk. And um, uh, there were, I got texts from a few people um, and was texting with a few people who are uh, trans or non-binary or, um, you know, uh, uh, do not necessarily directly identify on either end <laughs> of the of the spectrum. And, um, you know, I, I wrote a long email being like, I would love to attend the men's event, but like being in a room full of men talking about masculinity sounds like the most triggering thing on the face of the planet for me, which may be the reason that I should attend. But also, um, uh, I don't know, I find those spaces to just reinforce patriarchy and masculinity and misogyny in these really subtle and weird ways. Um, and so I've just had a number of email uh, exchanges with, with uh, the, some people at the center about um, sort of like, yeah, we have no idea how to do this well, but we're going to try anyway. And like that spirit is, is kind of um, refreshing. Um, I don't know if I'm, I'm, I'm explaining it well. Um, but it's just kind of this, yeah, this is something that needs to be tackled, but we don't, we don't really know how to do it um, in a way that's really inclusive of everyone. Um, and in a way that, you know, also provides safe spaces where safe spaces are needed to have discussions. Um, uh, and so that, that's been really interesting to, to watch and, and see how that evolves, uh, especially within a uh, Buddhist community that I'm, you know, close-ish with, as close as I can be, you know. <laughs> I, I tend to be a hermit a little bit on my own when it comes to those things, but... but <laughs> what, you? <laughs> um, so that, I don't know if that made any sense whatsoever, but um, it's just been, it's just been refreshing to see. Um, so yeah, much I'm a big fan of, it's okay to suck. Yeah, you're <laughs> yeah, like it's okay to suck at these conversations because <laughs> they're they're not conversations that are have have really been had on any sort of a widespread um, uh, uh, way. Um, yeah, and to be like, oh, I've got to I've got to do it perfectly is performative. Exactly, you know, and and it was I and the thing that the thing that was actually really nice is it was like they they put out the email and then like in the middle of the email in like big bold font they were like we understand that not everybody identifies on a gender binary and i forget the exact wording but it was basically like we don't know how to address this so um it was like we acknowledge that this is a thing that some people are going to be triggered by so please email us if you're triggered by it <laughs> And I was just like, yes, okay. Like Good. Step yeah. Ste like step one. <laughs> um and I did email them because I thought that, that took that was that took some some forethought to to put that put that in there. Um uh so um 
Yeah, so that's uh, that's that. Um, are we done? <laughs> Is there more? I think that's that's all I got in the tank. That's all you got in the tank. Okay, that's fine. Um, but it's really good. And I, it's with great cultural humility and skepticism laced with optimism that we go forward. (laughs) (laughs) I like that skepticism laced with optimism. Can I, can we name the episode that? Or we, but there was something else that we should have named it. Oh, fuck, Ryan. My memory is garbage. Hot garbage. (laughs) Okay. Then what we'll call it is skepticism laced with optimism. Semicolon. Hot garbage. Okay. (laughs) This has been unrolled. (laughs) Sure has. (gasps) Uh, oh, like us on Facebook, Instagram. You might see a post or two there. Um, thank you for those of you that have helped to support us um, through Patreon, uh, enabling us to... I like uh, that. Thank you to those who are enabling us on Patreon. <laughs> thank you to our enablers. <laughs> um. And, uh, yeah, you can listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Patreon, uh, not, well, yes, Patreon and, um, uh, Stitcher. That's the other place where you can, you can listen and subscribe. So, uh, have a wonderful day or night or morning whenever you're listening to this and we will see you next week. Godspeed. Bye. Bye.